Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, we're going to tackle a very interesting and probably highly controversial portion of Russian history that helped define the larger part of the 20th century and still very much affects the world today. The Communist Revolution in Russia as led by Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky. Tackling the idea of communism is a tough goal to accomplish, especially when considering episodes of this show aren't the longest out-of-history podcasts you can find. Just doing a background on it still wouldn't really do the topic justice. I think I should also state up top for anyone who might be seeing red. Ah, <laughs> puns. I'm not a communist. That being said, the ideology was essentially slandered into being seen as this ultimate threat to humanity. Which it's not. So, I'm going to try to do my best to explain communism in a way that is not defined by American Cold War politics. But also we've got to talk about Vlad and Leon. These two men who were once allies of the same cause but eventually grew to hate each other's guts after ideological differences completely fractured the growing socialist wave that was taking over Russia. One man would go on to lead the growing Soviet Union. One would end up in exile, unable to see his dreams come to fruition. Also, due to my own personal rules of this show, I will not be talking about Joseph Stalin unless it's completely necessary. We all know he sucked. Don't need any more to that story. There are many different figures in this period of history, and I just hope I can do enough to make this as informational and entertaining as possible without completely whitewashing the facts or bogging you down in a slog of names. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the end of the Russian Empire of the early 20th century in... Lenin and Trotsky paint the town red. So first and foremost for the background history lesson, what is communism? As I said before, this is going to be complicated to explain in enough depth within the constraints of this show. Back when I was in college, I took an introduction to economics class. It was extremely boring because I was not really into business classes. But I'll never forget when we very briefly talked about communism in that class. My professor told us basically what I've been telling you. You could take an entire semester-long class over communism and still fail to grasp what it actually means. I mean, that's true of many subjects, but it proves that this is not an easy task. So let's begin by boiling it down to the simplest definition. Even this one is a bit hard. I'll be using the Merriam-Webster Dictionary for this. A system in which goods are owned in common and are available to all is needed. However, we've also got a theory advocating elimination of private property. And that's just communism with a lowercase c. When you capitalize the word, the dictionary gives you a totalitarian system of government in which a single authoritarian party controls state-owned means of production, as well as a final stage of society and Marxist theory in which the state has withered away and economic goods are distributed equitably. Okay, so basically, communism is a system that advocates for equal access to all goods for everyone. Doesn't that sound good? 
Now, that's a question I'm not going to answer. It technically all begins with Karl Marx, a 19th century German philosopher, historian, and economist. He theorized that you could trace many of the major incidents of history as one based on a system of class struggle and warfare. In order to stop the struggle between the haves and have-nots, the bourgeoisie and the proletariats, respectively, you have to dismantle the class system and ensure everyone receives the resources they require to survive according to their own needs. So, how does that get done? Well, that's the insanely difficult part of communism. There are dozens of schools of thought when it comes to this ideology. The problem with figuring out how to start the revolution is entirely based on one's personal and cultural background. The communist schools of thought in Russia were completely different from those found in China, which were totally different from those found in Cuba, which are totally different from the communism preached by that one socialist millennial you probably know. Do you wait for others to join in and dismantle all the governments of the world in a massive landslide, or do you spring at the moment's notice and just see how it pans out? We've seen many different iterations of this throughout the 20th and 21st century with varying degrees of success and failure. The Soviet Union, China, and even smaller communities within nations throughout the world. Okay, let's try moving on from there. Like I said, it was going to be brief and messy. Now we have to talk about Russia. In the early 20th century, Russia was still very much an empire. A couple decades later, it became the Soviet Union. So let's talk about that. Russia was a mess at the turn of the 20th century. The Industrial Revolution had hit the nation a bit later than its western neighbors. The population was booming though, and cities doubled in size over a very short period of time. On top of that, Russia had entered a series of wars, beginning with the Crimean War in the mid-1800s that resulted in an unstable livelihood of the citizens of the empire. It didn't take a genius to realize that the current system within the nation wasn't working. And the blame for all of it essentially lay at the feet of the Tsar, currently Tsar Nicholas II, probably well known as the father of Anastasia. Under his reign, several major protests, strikes, and revolutions were launched throughout Russia. As more people began joining the cause of anti-imperialism, the workers of Russia began forming labor unions, in Russian referred to as Soviets, in order to be heard. So yes, saying the Soviet Union is just saying the Union Union. These Soviets would continue to grow in size and power until they were eventually able to topple the Tsar and his imperial government. But what would happen next? Who would be chosen to lead the charge? Well, there were a few people who had some ideas as what to do with this new lease on Russian life. Since he was born first, though not by too much, let's begin with Leon Trotsky. He was born in 1879 as Lev Davidovich Bronstein in Yernovka, Ukraine. The town is now known as Bereslavka, and back then it was part of the Russian Empire. His family were Russian Jews, but young Lev grew up speaking a hodgepodge mixture of Russian and Ukrainian. Though the Bronstein family owned a farm, Lev was sent to a Jewish school where he was forced to pick up his studies in Yiddish if he wished to get anywhere with his classes. 
Not only did Lev learn Yiddish, but he also became much more adept at Russian. With Russian in his repertoire, he was able to start reading the works of classical Russian writers like Tolstoy. His desire for knowledge catapulted him ahead in his studies. He graduated from the University of Odessa at the age of 17 and moved to the port town of Nikolaev along the Black Sea where he lived with some of his mother's relatives. In Nikolaev, Trotsky would meet his future wife, Alexandra Sokolovskaya. The story of their meeting would alter Lev's trajectory in life. They met at essentially a debate tournament where the two were pitted against each other. Alexandra was arguing that the theories of Karl Marx were clearly the correct path to build a better society. Lev attempted to argue against this, but found himself unable to properly overcome Alexandra's arguments. Thinking, oh, maybe this Marxism stuff isn't so bad after all, Lev became further involved with both Alexandra and the local Soviets in southern Ukraine. By 1897, Bronstein was the face of the labor movement around Odessa. Things then took a turn when Lev was arrested for participating in union strikes across Ukraine. In prison, he became further acquainted with other members of the growing socialist movement in the Russian Empire. It was also in prison that Lev learned of a man who had been growing in popularity within the Marxist community, Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov. After two years in prison, Lev was released, upon which he married Alexandra. Unfortunately, things would not be easy for the newlyweds as Alexandra was almost immediately exiled to Siberia for her ideological leanings. As her husband, Lev was also forced out. The couple lived in Siberia for another two years where they gave birth to two daughters. However, in 1902, Lev's desire to help the cause of the labor movement became too much. He left his family behind in Siberia, perhaps unknowingly ending his marriage with Alexandra at that moment. He got a forged passport whereupon he chose his new name. He was no longer Lev Davidovich Bronstein, but Leon Trotsky. And he knew that his future with the communists would not be able to immediately begin in Russia or Ukraine. So Trotsky set off for London where he hoped to meet the man he had heard about in prison. Vladimir Ulyanov, now also going by a new name, Vladimir Lenin. As I just said, Lenin's name at birth was Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov. He was born in 1870 to a Russian family that, while not incredibly wealthy, was decently well off. Like Trotsky, young Ulyanov was not seemingly destined to be any sort of grand revolutionary or political figure. In fact, both of his parents supported the Tsar. He also excelled in school and graduated as first of his class from his high school. However, things began to take a turn when Vladimir was still a teenager. His father had worked in the school system and had some level of prestige. With the Russian Empire beginning to enter its final stages of existence, the Tsar began cracking down on those who could possibly be spreading information over topics like socialism and communism. The government threatened Vlad's father into retiring early. Unfortunately, Ilya Ulyanov could not even be further threatened or forced to retire because he would end up dying of a brain hemorrhage. Around the same time, Vlad's older brother Alexander was attending college in St. Petersburg where he was becoming involved with some anti-imperial organizations. 
This came to a head when Alexander Ulyanov was hanged for conspiring to assassinate Tsar Alexander III. In 1897, at only 17 years old, Vlad was the oldest male member of his family, which granted him that classic title, Head of the Family. But things were now significantly harder for young head of the family Vlad because the Ulyanovs were now a family related to an enemy of the state. Thankfully, his high school principal was still on Vlad's side and helped him get into a university in Kazan. Things might have turned out differently had Vlad just decided to follow his original path of studying law. However, he had been radicalized by the treatment of his father and brother. It did not take long before Vladimir was following Alexander's footsteps and attending student-led rallies. He was then immediately expelled from Kazan University. Since he was no longer allowed to receive a formal education, Vladimir decided he was going to educate himself. He joined other revolutionary circles where he was finally introduced to the ideologies of Karl Marx through his book Das Kapital. After much further petitioning and waiting for public approval, Vlad was allowed to receive his law degree in 1891. Combined with his new interest in Marxism, he moved to St. Petersburg in 1893 and worked as a public defender, especially looking to help the people of the lower classes in the city. Ironically, now that he was a lawyer, Vladimir found himself absolutely despising the profession as it was heavily biased in favor of the bourgeoisie. He joined a Marxist circle in St. Petersburg that eventually sent him to other nations in Europe to help research and spread the good word of Karl Marx, especially to Russian exiles further west. He would actually meet the son-in-law of Marx while he was in Paris. In 1895, Lenin returned to Russia and helped form the Union for the Struggle for the Liberation of the Working Class, which is a mouthful of a name. Shortly afterwards, Vlad and other members of the Union were arrested for their behaviors. While in prison, he continued reading and writing communist literature which would eventually go on to form the basis of his own branch of communism, Leninism. Just like Trotsky, in 1897 Vlad was exiled to Siberia. He would spend three years in Siberia where he continued meeting with other communists and writing communist propaganda. He wrote under several pen names to make it seem like this was a much larger operation than it really was. One of those names would stick with him. It was during this time that Vladimir Ulyanov became Vladimir Lenin. He started up a Marxist newspaper called Iskra, meaning spark. In order to help more easily spread the newspaper, Lenin moved to Munich in Germany after his exile was over. He was able to print it there for a couple years before he was run out of Germany and landed in London. It was in England where he would join in the second RSDLP conference, the RSDLP being the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party. It was also around this time that he would obviously meet Leon Trotsky. Even among the Marxists of Russia, Lenin was a contentious figure. He had somewhat twisted Karl Marx's ideologies to fit his own idea of what Russia needed to do in order to start a revolution. And he was very stubborn about this point of view. He was known for growing furious at meetings like the second RSDLP conference to the point where he would force those that did not agree with him to leave. 
At the RSDLP conference, Lenin, recognizing that most people actually agreed with him, decided to call his faction the Russian word for majority, Bolsheviks. Those that were in the minority would be referred to as the Mensheviks, coming from the word for minority. Trotsky would end up siding with the Mensheviks during this time. This minority desired a democratic approach to the hopefully coming soon revolution. They wanted to be able to have a slow rollout of the revolution as opposed to the Bolshevik immediate right now approach. Now, we know how things will eventually roll out when it comes to history, but I want to take a moment here to say that the Mensheviks were actually kind of right. In all of his writings, Marx had described the worldwide revolution beginning in industrialized states, places like America and England. Sure, Russia was industrializing, but it was not at the point where things were secure. Let's be honest, the Soviet Union was kind of a failed nation project. If England or America had been the first to become communist states, maybe things would have turned out differently throughout the 20th century. But despite his right-here-right-now mentality, Lenin was waiting for the perfect moment. In almost a sadistic manner, he watched as Russia was falling apart. He needed the proletariat to be ready, and that meant a lot of people had to die. There were plagues and famines, deadly losses and war. All of this was contributing to a massive change in the way the Russian public viewed the Tsar and his empire. This all culminated in the revolution of 1905. The lower classes in Russia, as well as members of the Russian military, had finally grown tired of the harsh conditions they were put under. Members of the workers' Soviets organized in front of the Tsar's palace in January of that year. They were protesting for things that are now common-sense laws in most parts of the world, one being an eight-hour workday. How did Tsar Nicholas respond? Well, he had his guards confront the people of his nation and fire their guns. This was Bloody Sunday, January 22nd, 1905. The resulting revolution would last for about half a year and culminated in the Tsar creating the Duma, essentially Imperial Russia's version of a parliament, and the adoption of the 1906 Russian Constitution. It allowed for a bit more democracy within the empire, but it still wasn't enough. So how did Lenin and Trotsky respond to all of this? Well, Trotsky had already been back in Russia, trying to help organize the Soviets and preaching about the rights workers deserved. He had to dip out to Finland for a bit to save his own neck, but he was back in Russia to help continuing the cause of the communists. Meanwhile, Lenin was in Switzerland and did not return until everything had calmed down. He immediately began figuratively foaming at the mouth that the revolution was in dire need of restructuring. Trotsky and the Mensheviks had an idea of the proletariats and the bourgeoisie working together in order to create a better society. Lenin had his grand idea that has been referred to as a democratic dictatorship of the proletariat. No room for the bourgeoisie. Just like the Tsar, they had to go. He also wrote about what specific actions the revolutionaries should take in order to kill their enemies, including throwing acid on them. The guy was going kinda crazy. No one in Marxist circles had ever really talked like that before. 
With these violent new ideas brewing within the revolutionary circles, guess what time it is? Time for the Tsar to have more people exiled to Siberia. Lenin escaped just in time to avoid the fate of many of his comrades. Trotsky was not as lucky and, for the second time in his life, found himself out in the cold. He eventually managed to escape exile once again and fled Russia. Lenin hunkered down in Finland where he continued writing his grand communist theses. Trotsky, meanwhile, went on a globe-trotting adventure. He first settled in Switzerland, then World War I broke out. He fled to France, wrote some anti-war sentiments, and was deported. Moved to Spain, same thing, deported. Finally, Trotsky found himself in America where he was allowed to be a Russian communist and relative peace. Then, 1917 rolled along, and everything changed. <laughs> The Romanov dynasty had come to an end, and we can go over that in further detail in another episode. There were two revolutions that occurred in Russia in 1917, the February and October revolutions. World War I had hit Russia pretty hard and everyone was now ready to see legitimate change come to the nation. So in February, people took to the streets of Petrograd, the new name of St. Petersburg the Tsar had created in hopes of pleasing people, though obviously that was just an empty gesture. The Duma took control after Tsar Nicholas abdicated the throne, transforming the empire into the very short-lived Russian Republic. Neither Trotsky nor Lenin were in Russia for the February Revolution. Trotsky was still in America and Lenin was still hiding out in Scandinavia. However, Trotsky did try to get to Russia as quickly as possible. He just hit a bunch of road bumps along the way, including being detained in an internment camp in Nova Scotia, Canada. He was finally able to make it back to Russia in May. Though he had always been a voice for the Mensheviks, Trotsky reluctantly began preaching the good word of the Bolsheviks. Lenin, despite not being in Russia during this time, had become the voice of Russian communism. His desire for an immediate revolution was much more popular than the Menshevik permanent revolution ideology. What better time was there for a revolution than right now? During this time, Trotsky became a populist leader, which also meant that once more he was put in prison. But by the time October arrived though, Leon Trotsky had been voted as governor of the Petrograd Soviet. With fear that the revolution would occur without his presence, Lenin hightailed it across the Russian border and once more took control of the Bolsheviks. On October 10th, Lenin argued before a Bolshevik committee that there would need to be an armed coup against the provisional government of the Russian Republic if communism was ever to become the law of the land in the nation. The committee overwhelmingly voted for Lenin's plan. The dissenters argued that Europe was not currently in a position for a proletariat revolution, and they were very much right. This was one of the key ideas Karl Marx had argued about in all his writings. If their European neighbors weren't ready, what chance did Russia have of becoming a communist nation? Well, Lenin had long ago abandoned orthodox Marxism and had twisted the revolution into his own ideology. The revolution would begin in Russia, and it would start now. The Bolsheviks managed to seize control of Petrograd's public systems before actually laying siege to the Winter Palace, the base of operations for the Duma. 
This was all done without too much violence, and it actually succeeded. Lenin gathered the Petrograd Soviet and announced that the provisional government had been overthrown. In place of the Duma, there would be the Sovnarkom, the Council of People's Commissars. The government would control Russia for nearly the rest of the 20th century. Originally, Lenin did not actually want to be placed in charge as chairman of the Sovnarkom. No, he offered the position to Trotsky. The other Bolsheviks would not stand for that, so Lenin was forced into the position anyways. Trotsky would act almost like a second-in-command, though his position was actually the Commissar of Foreign Affairs. He spent much of those early days sharing the news of the new government's success over the Provisional Duma. Oddly enough, he never used terms that would come off as Marxist or socialist. Instead, he just kept telling the people that the workers of Russia now held all the power. The Sovnarkom would get to work eventually. But for now, they waited for the red wave of communism to wash over Europe. Well, the mass revolution of communism across Europe obviously never came. In fact, things were not great considering World War I was very much still going on. The Bolsheviks spoke out on an anti-war campaign. The people of Russia had been over the war for a long time now. Its toll on the nation was an inciting incident for both 1917 revolutions. As the Commissar of Foreign Affairs, that meant it was Trotsky's job to oversee Russia pulling out of the war. He spoke with representatives of the Central Powers, Germany, Austria-Hungary, the Ottomans, and Bulgaria, about what would need to happen for peace between Russia and its enemies. The Central Powers agreed to peace if Russia gave up claims to land in several nations throughout Eastern Europe. Trotsky wasn't quite sure what to do, so he brought word of this offer to Lenin. Like I said, the Bolsheviks had campaigned their cause as being able to help Russia out of World War I. Both Trotsky and Lenin were willing to agree to the Central Powers' terms. Unfortunately, the rest of the government wasn't. Trotsky was forced to make a gamble. He believed that if Russia just pulled out of the war but refused to agree to Germany's terms, it would put the Central Powers in an awkward position. If they attacked Russia, that would essentially be attacking a neutral party. Well, that backfired stupendously when the Central Powers invaded a now undefended Russia. Trotsky called up the Central Powers asking what was happening, to which they responded, What did you think was going to happen? Lenin then forced Trotsky to accept the Central Powers' original terms. Hoping to save face due to this embarrassment, Trotsky resigned as Commissar of Foreign Affairs, and was almost immediately made Commissar of War. Lenin was entrusting his right-hand man with building up the new Red Army. Even though the new Soviet Union was done with World War I, it was quickly thrown into turmoil with its own civil war. The Civil War began with soldiers in Czechoslovakia deciding to revolt against the new government. They formed what they called the White Army. Eventually, another front would form in Finland, this specific White Guard hoping to get into Russia and free the former Tsar and his family who had been held hostage for some time now. Well, that didn't really work out. But the White Army was certainly a formidable foe. Throughout 1918 and 1919, the White Army successfully held back the Red Army under Trotsky's control. 
Even the Soviet Union's western neighbors were waiting in the wings, keeping a close eye to see if it was maybe a good time to invade and take Russian lands for their own. However, just when the White Army seemed poised to take Petrograd, the Red Army, usually said to have been bolstered by Trotsky's determination, turned the tide and held off the White Army. The Soviet government was now able to get a firm control on their nation by the end of 1920. Everything seemed to be going well for the new communist nation. Then, in 1922, Vladimir Lenin suffered a debilitating stroke. Lenin's time as chairman of the Soviet Union was seemingly a contradiction of what he had tried to stand for. The Bolsheviks had promised that the workers of Russia would rule the nation. He had argued for the democratic dictatorship of the proletariat. In reality, the government still controlled everything, it's just that this government was no longer composed of nobility. Lenin had needed to dip into authoritarianism in order to ensure the Soviet Union could grow. People could no longer really choose their jobs. Instead, the government appointed you a position in whichever new factory had an open position. He was also ruthless towards his dissenters, especially after he managed to avoid being assassinated, though he did end up in the hospital for a gunshot wound. One of the weirdest turns in Lenin's rule was when he had to briefly stop the Soviet Union's iron grip on communism due to a famine. Farmers were now allowed to keep and sell their own food for a brief period of time in order to help them get through the tough times. It was considered a resounding success of a political move. But then things got better and communist rule was restored. Oh well. He spent much of his time as chairman continuing writing his grand communist propaganda from the Kremlin in Moscow. However, like I said, in 1922 Lenin suffered a stroke. His health would never recover and Vladimir Lenin died in 1924. The nation was distraught at the death of a man who they had revered as a hero, though he was probably thought of in this way due to all that propaganda he was writing. In his honor, the city of Petrograd was renamed to Leningrad. Thousands upon thousands showed up to his funeral despite the fact that it was in the middle of winter and absolutely freezing. But with Lenin's death came the all-important question, who would be his successor? The obvious answer was Leon Trotsky. Unfortunately, one man was very determined to not see Trotsky come to power. Lenin's lapdog, Joseph Stalin. Okay, so the briefest of rundowns on this guy. He was born in modern-day Georgia, though back then it was part of the Russian Empire. He became involved with the Russian communists while attending university and helped raise money for the Bolsheviks via robberies and racketeering. Seriously, he was bad from the beginning. Anyway, he supported the Bolsheviks from nearly the beginning, so he was always part of Lenin's inner circle. When the empire collapsed and the Soviet Union became the new name of the game, Lenin needed to find a position for Stalin. He decided to name him General Secretary, which was originally just a figurehead role until Stalin gave it real power. Lenin knew that Stalin could be dangerous if the latter was chosen as his replacement, but Stalin was determined to see that Trotsky was never made chairman of the Sovnarkom. He went on a massive campaign to discredit Trotsky. 
Even though Leon had basically sold out his ideologies to the Bolsheviks, Stalin pushed the conspiracy theory that Trotsky would choose to throw aside Lenin's hard work in favor of Menshevik theory. The propaganda worked and Trotsky was forced to retire as Commissar of War. He would never regain the political heights he had achieved under the rule of Vladimir Lenin. Joseph Stalin, now the new chairman of the USSR, eventually got fed up with Trotsky and had him banished from Russia in 1927. Originally, Trotsky wound up in Turkey. He continued to bounce around Europe while writing condemnations against the new leader of the Soviet Union. Stalin continued pulling the strings to get Trotsky deported from his new homes until the latter was forced to move his family to Mexico in 1937. In Mexico, he became very close friends with artists Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, and it's said he even ended up having an affair with Kahlo. It was in Mexico where Trotsky wrote his most condemning treatise by talking about Stalin's relationship with Adolf Hitler. Hey, that's not the two people I never wanted to talk about in this show being brought up. In 1940, Trotsky realized his time on Earth was probably not going to last much longer. He was proven correct when Stalin ordered multiple assassination attempts on the former commissar's life. In August, he was finally taken out when an assassin entered his home and stabbed Trotsky in the head with an ice pick. He was rushed to the hospital, but there was nothing to be done. Allegedly, Trotsky's last words commented on the fact that Stalin had finally succeeded. With Leon Trotsky dead, any hope for the original ideologies of Karl Marx to reach the Soviet Union died. Vladimir Lenin was, and probably always will be, an extremely controversial figure. Besides just the uneasy feeling of many people towards communism, his ways of thinking, as discussed, weren't always popular among other Marxists. But despite that, he definitely deserves one of the highest spots when it comes to most influential leaders and politicians of the 20th century. I mean, the guy led to the creation of the first communist state. Was it a heavily flawed state that definitely shouldn't have been created in the way that it was? Yeah, I'd say so. But it was something that hadn't been done before. Besides, there's a reason that the most common school of communism practiced in the world during the 20th century was called Marxism-Leninism. As far as Leon Trotsky... Man, the guy just had a rotten hand dealt to him. We'll never know for certain how things could have gone in an alternate timeline. What would the history of Russia be like if Trotsky had gotten his way? What if more moderate factions of Marxists were able to lead the rebellion? What if Trotsky had actually been chosen to succeed Lenin as chairman of the USSR? Would the Soviet Union have been a better nation? Would it have even existed at all? I'd like to think that maybe things could have gone better. At the very least, maybe other nations might have been willing to give communism and socialism a fair shake before things got way too authoritarian in Russia. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, it's another installment of the Julio-Claudian saga. Emperor Tiberius is in a rough spot with no successors to the throne. Just how deep into that dark place can the Emperor go? 
and what will happen to Rome when this is all happening. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.